On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, LD here. Just a short note that this episode of Rock and Roll Heaven is explicit in every single way possible. So no little ears on this one. And if you want to come back next week, it's probably not going to get any better. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with the four. The ride is Will the Thrill. <laughs> to that, I say greetings and salutations. Ah, thank God. This is just a sad. See, uh, cut to commercial. You, you just got in your own way, man. Yeah, I did. If you that just let a... it go, it just would have been fine. Yeah. Here we are. Welcome back. Like it on the first wait, wait. Try. That's another voice. Who do we have? Oh. We've got from the Yeah Uh Huh podcast. We've got Phil. We got Lisa. And we got Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah. We're really looking forward to it. Excited. Yes, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode, for which we are doing Waylon Jennings Part Six. And so. Our storyteller this week, and probably for the remainder of 2023, is Mr. TJ2, the deuce. Luke, I am your father. <laughs> I just leave that in. I'm not. I'm not... I, just, I, just, I just shoved my face down in a giant QT teacup. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. That's last week. Or no, this week. I don't know what week That is, is... your father. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know what? Uh, Luke, uh, maybe your mother too. That's better. <laughs> That's that's a reveal. All right. Well, we're going to start off with some sad news. And then apparently, as you guys heard prior to our introduction, that this episode is explicit in every single way, shape and form. I have been promised that this is a laugh a minute riot of just the slap nuts. Yes, that's not a slap nuts from my brother. Let's just get the downer stuff out of the way. We lost a legend. We lost Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. And I will say, I don't, you know what? I know that he's dead, but I hate the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yes, but you I, like other songs that he's done. I like other songs, nothing, and that's just nothing. terrible. Hey, hey, you hold on a second. Nothing screams feel good summer hit like maritime disasters. This is true. <laughs> 15 minute songs about maritime disasters. Yeah. That's <laughs> the pride of the Americans. Always made me think of Red Lobster. I've started something. But what about Sundown? That was an and awesome song. Sundown, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> Carefree Highway. If you could read my mind. Yeah. Early morning rain. Sundown is great. Yep. Yeah, but I do I do like the wreck of the event. That's terrible. Maybe I'm the outlier mm-hmm. here. But here's the thing. Okay. I used to not pay for Pandora before I just like went over to Spotify and started paying like ten dollars a month to get that. And so if you didn't pay for Pandora, they would just build a playlist and like auto play it and for some reason i chose like 70s or 80s you know feel good songs or so whatever i'd like built this playlist and for some reason the gordon lightfoot they stuck all the gordon lightfoot on there but every single time i would be in the shower listening to this playlist and they would play gordon lightfoot's the wreck of the edmund fitzgerald and i got so tired of it but you couldn't change it 
You couldn't skip it. You can change it. You can get out of the application. Sea, sea shanties are appropriate when you're in the show. Oh, no, I'd rather drown. So uh, just so you guys know, Gordon Lightfoot was Canadian. Yep. I don't think he was on my He's Canadian. Canadian. And he had a song about a boat. Or both. So a boot. A boot. He had. Uh, the boot sunk, eh? He had four <laughs> kids, Ingrid, Fred, Miles, and Eric. And he passed away on May the 1st. And so this, and this episode. from what I saw on social media, pretty much universally beloved by other musicians. Yeah. Yep. We all have songs that trigger us. So. Yeah. Well, all right. So I don't think that we have anybody else to talk about when it comes to the downer stuff. For some reason, I felt like I had like news, but I don't I don't think I have news. Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, wait, this is going out to everybody. OK, really quick, guys. At the beginning of the episode, if you are in the Los Angeles area and you are over the age of 21, grab a friend and come uh, try out for the show Pictionary, the game of hilarious sketches and funny sketches. And uh, you can do that by emailing me, pictionarycasting at gmail.com. You can also just find Pictionary on Instagram, and I think their application is there. Tell them that I sent you. But seriously, if you live within driving distance of a reasonable amount of time or you're willing to pay for your own travel and live vaguely close to California, you have a chance to be on the show. So please tell your friends, tell your family, grab a buddy. You will need a partner, but you can just shoot me an email at pictionarycasting at gmail.com and I will send you all of the info so that you can get cast on this amazing show. Aaron, you're the only one that lives in California. <clears throat> Why don't you audition for the show? Make make me look good, dude. Um, <laughs> hmm. I think we both get paid by the mouse. Well, it's indoors. Oh, yeah. so that's one thing. If it's, if it's under the mouse umbrella, maybe. Could Aaron and his wife come on in costume? I don't think we're not we're not let's make a deal or whatever <laughs> what is it what is it you bet your life no it was yeah. it, it was let's make a deal okay all right well since we're talking about game shows hey i would totally come out there and try out except there's no one in the history of drawing who sucks at drawing worse than i do especially when it's a clock running because it's like uh that is a commode it's a ninja throwing star and eventually i'd go like it's the state of texas you dumb son of a bitch <laughs> I uh, I once tried to draw C-3PO and my uh, art teacher thought it was a camel. <laughs> Being the person I was, I went with camel. All right. Since we're talking about network television, I think this would be an absolutely perfect place to take our first sponsor break. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new Factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. 
And we're back. All right. I'm going to hand the reins over to Mr. TJ to the deuce, who is apparently going to take us on a wild ride. And I am here for it. Is this the episode where I get to find out all the stuff that you've been texting me about and saying, like, I can't wait to tell you yes. about it. Okay, good. Good. Yes. Excellent. And one of them is very early. Excellent. Okay, so first of all, we're thrilled to have our friends from Yeah on with us. They're going to do an episode on an album that we're covering today. And I just thought, man, it would just be fun to bring them in because we always have fun when we've been on the show with them. And they've they jumped on our birthday show, but they've never done a proper episode with us. So and we're happy they're fun. here. Yes, it's very much. Yay, we're excited. It's like when you'd be watching Empty Nest and Sophia Petrillo would like walk through Dr. Harry Weston's house and go drop a deuce in his commode or whatever. It is very much like that. We have somebody from from this show comes on this show and. We like hanging with them. So this seemed like a fun opportunity. Now, yes, as LD said, last week, I, I told you that figuratively speaking, we kind of pulled the pin on the crazy grenade and threw it in people's speakers. This week, we detonate like a crazy nuke. I'm here for it. And that happens like really early. I'm here for TJ2 saying drop a deuce. Thanks for having us, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's an honor. Yeah, to, for a deuce? Honor to be that too. I don't want y'all to actually drop a deuce while you're on with us. I mean, no offense, but. The videos turned on and everything. If you do, turn turn the video off and yeah, press I, mute. I, I will get, mute you. I'll grab the litter box and turn off the video. <laughs> All right. Well, in our last episode on the late great Waylon Jennings, Waylon took lots of pills and laid naked with many women before finding true love in Jesse Coulter, who he married and stayed with for the rest of his life. He got very sick. He used the downtime to take stock of his life and was ready to quit music outright right up until meeting Neil Reshin, who negotiated him a financially lucrative contract. More than that, though, he was granted total artistic freedom. He was about to use that and would change Nashville forever in the process. Now, we're going to start this week's episode in a way that we never have before. Before we commence with our story, it is important that we actually take a few minutes and introduce you three very important figures that had come into Waylon's life by this time. The first of those is a guy named Tom Is it Tom Peter, Paul, Paul and Mary? Not Peter, Paul, and Mary. Very close, though. Tom Paul Glazer's actual name was Thomas Paul Glazer. Now, he went by Tom Paul but he was from Oklahoma and people there just ran him together. So he went with Tom Ball. One word. Didn't he play Starsky? He was a member of the famous Glazer Brothers. And then he went solo. Now, Tom Paul, unlike Waylon, was very good with money. He had saved and invested well. And he owned a publishing company and a recording studio. Waylon recollects that they met playing pinball. The two would quite literally hold up at pinball machines for several days at a time, spending up to $1,000 a night. They would get into a hole. They'd try to win some free games and some of their money back, but they never would. Waylon said Tom Paul could stay up almost as long as he could and that they once played pinball for three consecutive days and nights without stopping. I think mom could probably do that. Probably, but rather humorously, Tom Paul tried to claim pinball losses as a business expense on his taxes on one occasion. <laughs> <laughs> and he figured up he had spent $35,000 playing the machines in one year with Waylon a quarter oh my of the time. <laughs> Certain point, you got to get your own machine, I man. I just can't. No, wait, 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 wait. Quite, I got a the question here. Out of I got, a, I yep. got a question, T. Okay, could Waylon have dug himself out of debt just based on his quarter revenue from him? Probably so. See, he's just a bad with money. If Waylon had not, if Waylon had, if Waylon had not played pinball and pop pills, then he probably could have retired at like thirty-five. Wow. <laughs> Seems like that's where most of the money was going. But yeah. they'd play until they were out of quarters. And then again, very comically, one of them would go to the little cashier with a hundred dollar bill asking for four hundred more, more quarters. <laughs> now Tom Paul Go to bed. Yeah. Jesus. Tom Paul and Waylon acted very much like brothers going from best besties to arguing and back again within the span of a night. 
his studio and office was referred to as Hillbilly Central, and that became a very important part of the outlaw movement. The next person I need to introduce you to is a person called Captain Midnight. Now, his real name was Roger Shutt, but almost no one knew that, and nobody at all called him that. He was originally from Michigan, but became a beloved DJ in Nashville. He got fired a lot. He was fired for talking about politics. He was fired for playing a song per Kinky Friedman by Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jewboys. And he was fired for wiring the door of a radio station control room shut and playing nothing but Waylon Jennings until management knocked the door down. Oh, real quick, TJ. TJ, isn't um, that also the uh, 80s song by Double? Yes. Captain Midnight? Oh, that's hmm. Captain Everhart. No, I'm sorry. Diversion. My apologies. Sorry. Wrong one. I yep. tried. Oh, wait. Captain Midnight. Wasn't he in love? No, that's Captain Stooping. I think he was selling mushrooms at the uh, fish Captain show Stubing. last week. Oh wait, um, wait, did he did they sing uh, Love Will Keep Us Together? Captain and Tennille. Captain and Tennille. Oh. Uh, Captain and Tennille. But he was on Daryl Dragon. Did, uh, was at the controls of the Star Trek of the uh, of the Enterprise. No, 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 no. That's that's either Captain Kirk or Captain in outer Picard. space. Uh, oh, the guy yeah, in the cereal that's, box. No. That's him. Or uh, Captain Janeway. Okay. No, that's that's Captain like Crunch. That anyway, that's Captain Crunch. <laughs> oh, I love Captain Crunch. Oh. Sorry. I like the peanut butter, the square oh, one. <laughs> Are any of you actually acquainted with the music of Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys? Yeah. I oh. Kinky is awesome. I think there's an album called Ride'em Jew Boy, right? Yep. Ride'em Jew Boy. Oh my God. He's the one Why? That, he's the one that wrote uh, Making Jews Like Jesus No More. Yeah. <laughs> okay. To, to the country of Italy, Canada, Mexico, France, Guam, the people of a small town somewhere in eastern Idaho, three people from Texas, and all of the Jewish people. Yes, he's Jewish. His, his parents. That's his, that's his shtick. I saw him square off with Mike Wallace one time on 60 Minutes. Um, his, his parents immigrated to Texas, I believe, from Russia and were, were Jewish, yes. Kinky, Kinky's a trip. If you're not oh, familiar yeah. with him, check do, him out. Do check out Kinky Friedman. But Captain Midnight got fired for playing one of his songs, for locking and wiring a door shut and playing nothing but Waylon. He actually gained at least regional, maybe brief national acclaim for taking an on-air call from a man who claimed to have just murdered someone. And he talked that guy into giving himself up to police. That was well, a real thing that happened at one time. Now, he was sort of a go-between. That's uh, his street cred. Yeah. He was kind of a go-between guy for Waylon and Tom Paul. Once said, quote, Tom, Paul, and Waylon are doing all the robbing, raping, and pillaging, and they've got me holding their horses. He was a friend, pinball player, guru, errand boy, court jester, and entourage member. But Waylon, Tom, Paul, and the other outlaws considered him invaluable. Also, quote, he is what we today would call a homeless person, Kinky Friedman said in Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus. He actually lived in Tom Paul's studio some of the time. He lived in Waylon's closet. He had a cot and a hot plate in there. Hey, that's all you need, right? Yeah. yeah. I lived in a closet for a year. He would help facilitate an album that we'll be discussing today. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the great Billy Joe Shaver. Shaver was called the Wacko from Waco, but he was actually born in Corsicana, Texas. His father ran off before he, before he was born, and his mother waited tables and tended bar at a place called the Green Gables. His grandma, Bertie Lee Watson, who made a living by making lye soap, mostly raised him. He learned to play guitar early and would sometimes play for Green Gables patrons. He dropped out of school in eighth grade and joined the Navy at 17. That didn't last long, though, since punching officers in the face is frowned upon, and he did that. So he was, um, and now comes one of those things that LD referred to that I've told her, I discovered this thing, and I want to tell you, but I've got to save it for the show because I want natural reaction and I want to hear your shock and dismay. So here we go. There's not really a natural place to put this piece of information, so I'm just throwing it in here. 
In an interview with one of his best friends, Norm McDonald, Billy Joe confessed that as a lad, he sometimes had sex with watermelons. Wow, you know, I really like watermelon. I don't like it that much. But how do you look with? But but how do you do that with all the salt on it? Wait, is it like (laughs) watermelon, like the fruit, or the watermelon you get from Friendlies that's made out of sherbet? I think it's an important distinction. Uh, Watermelon, like like the big things in a in a rind. I think I would assume. I mean, never having never having laid with produce before, I would assume that it sits in the hot Texas sun. Most of the inside is water. Probably gets pretty hot. It's probably a decent approximation of what. No, no, I meant no. I need you to stop. I need you to stop yeah. talking about that. This needs to. You have to wonder if it was seedless yep. or if. It was... No. <laughs> yeah, well, no. it wasn't after Billy Joe was done with it. <laughs> you are asking questions that I do not need to know the answers to. There are just some. What is the next thing that you? Seems like there'd be a lack of resistance and tightness in a watermelon. I don't know. <laughs> well, Billy Joe picked cotton. He roughnecked and he worked in a sawmill. That job ended when he accidentally cut off most of two fingers and part of another. He took them to a doctor to have them sewn back on as he read that that sort of surgery was actually being done in Japan at the time. It was not done in Texas. So they gave him his fingers in a jar of formaldehyde to take home with him. Oh, good for him, I guess. Souvenirs. Yeah, souvenirs. Having lost parts of three fingers seemed like a that seemed like a great time to him to become a guitar player and a full-time singer. So he went to Nashville. And he did get a job writing for Bobby Bear. Now, he penned songs that were ultimately covered by Tom T. Hall, Elvis Presley, the Allman Brothers, Willie Nelson, and Waylon Jennings, as we'll discuss in just a bit. You know the specifics on the fingers? I'm sorry to interrupt. Were they on the same hand? Yes. All on the, the same right hand. hand or the left hand? The fret left, hand? I think okay. the fret hand. Thank you. I think on the, I think it's, I want to say ring, middle, and in, oh, index. you do know the specific specifics. But we can double it's, check. I think it was on his fret yeah, hand. Okay. Which would actually seem yeah, harder. It seems impossible to, to be able to play. You, could, you can maybe grab a pick, way. but yeah. Apparently, people would occasionally ask Billy Joe, like, "What happened to his fingers?" And he would act surprised and looked at his hand and go, "Like, well, shit, they were here just a minute ago. I don't know." <laughs> like <laughs> even later in life, that was like a running joke that he had. But anyway, a lot of people covered his songs. Um, he dove headfirst into drugs and basically said he would take anything he could get. Later on, when he was hanging out with Waylon and Willie. If those two got some pills or powder or weed that they weren't sure about, they would just give some to Billy Joe. And if he didn't project all vomit, speak in yeah. tongues, or die, Canary then they the figured it was mine. safe for them to take some too. So he was like, yes, very much so. He always carried $100 bills in his pocket, and he would frequently bet on things like the outcome of football games or things as odd like whether or not the gas station he and his band were walking into stock bacon or not. Like walking to the door, he'd go like, I bet you 100 they got bacon in this joint, and they'd go see and you know, then somebody would have to. So he had a pretty, pretty severe he gambling. Would sometimes have fits. It, it sounds like, well, what I, what I read is that he just, he didn't care about money. He, he made it and he spent it. And that's just kind of how it was. He would sometimes have fits and he would fire band members. And then he would like feel bad and rehire them the next day. On one occasion, he accused his guitar player of conspiring to drive their tour van into oncoming traffic and kill him. He commandeered the wheel and fired the dude, but then he rehired him the next day and gave him a hundred dollar bill for his trouble. And on-again, off-again relationships extended beyond his professional life. Billy Joe was married six times, but only to two different women, both of whom he wed and divorced three times apiece. After one of his weddings in Las Vegas, he suffered a broken neck while Indian leg wrestling his best man in the middle of a casino floor. <laughs> that must have been a great Not wedding Not just six night. marriages, six divorces. Six divorces, yeah. I can see why Norm liked this guy. He was a party animal. Two women, right. Was it? Th- I assume three apiece, but who knows? Yes, it was three, 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 three with each. Now, very tragically, within one 12 month span, his mother, one of his former wives, 
and his son all died. The mother and wife of cancer and his only son, Eddie, of a heroin overdose. In 2001, Billy Joe had a heart attack on stage mm-hmm. playing at Green Hall in Texas, which is a very famous venue. It's one of the oldest ones in the state of Texas. Now, Billy Joe was a deeply religious man who often told audiences if they didn't love Jesus, they could go to hell. So he thought that his death at Green Hall was part of God's great plan. And he broke into prayer on stage as paramedics arrived, thanking the Lord for letting him die in the oldest honky-tonk in Texas. He did survive, however. Hey, we all have goals. That that wasn't where things ended for Billy Joe. In 2007, driving to get a divorce with his soon-to-be ex-ex-ex-wife, Wanda Kennedy, the two stopped into a place called Papa Joe's Saloon near Waco. A man who was cousins with the man Wanda was previously married to came up to their table. Billy Joe said he was, quote, built like a brick shithouse and was either sweet-talking Wanda or maybe getting a little too aggressive with her. Billy Joe said he tried to interject himself, but the guy told him to, quote, shut the fuck up and threatened him several times. Now, Billy Joe said he and the man went outside to settle things. And the guy, in addition to being much younger and bigger than him, pulled a gun and fired it at Billy Joe three times. The only problem with that story is that not a single witness on hand backs that version of the story at all, saying the guy didn't even have a gun. He did have a knife, however. Billy Joe did have a gun, and he may or may not, depending on what version you read, have asked the guy, quote, where do you want it? If he did ask him that, the dude probably didn't say, quote, in the face, but that is where Billy Joe shot Mm. him in the face before fleeing and becoming a fugitive from justice for a while. One of Willie Nelson's ex-wives, Connie Nelson, and Kinky Friedman encouraged him to come out of hiding. Billy Joe said he would never have been found, by the way, if he'd stayed where he was hiding and he would not say where his hiding place was. When he stood trial, Willie Nelson and Robert Duvall attended the proceedings in support of him. And he had as his defense attorney, Dick DeGuerin, a legendary figure in Texas jurisprudence. When Billy Joe was on the stand at one point, though, as he did opt to you know, testify on his own behalf, the prosecutor said to him, quote, isn't it a fact you could have just walked away? And Billy Joe responded, quote, hell no, I'm from Texas. I ain't no chicken shit. <laughs> DeGuerin at that point put his face in his hands and said, and said Billy Joe's going to jail. <laughs> but miraculously, he did not. He was found not guilty. Because... Because uh, Robert Duvall was there, Tom Hagen. That's crazy. That now that's yeah. a crazy story. That's Willie and Robert Duvall were there for like all four days of the consigliere to the Godfather. He had all the legal expertise. That's that is the most Texas thing I think I've ever heard. I don't know if y'all are acquainted with many folks from Texas, oh, yeah. but the thing I find about people from Texas is that they really like being from Texas. Man, what you know? Oh yeah. My boss is from more, Texas. More so than any, probably any other state in the union. South Carolina might be second. My home state would be really close, but I don't think anybody tops Texas in that category. There's a definite code of conduct if you're a Texan. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Well, there's, and, not a, there's not a song called God Bless okay, Idaho. Okay, so the, the deal with <laughs> right. right. All my exes live in Idaho? No. Or no, Omaha, no. for that matter. Right. That's right. You're not from Idaho? No, that wouldn't work. Are there any songs about Vermont? Because I'm convinced that Vermont. Vermont doesn't actually. Okay. Okay. Maine, Rhode Island. I'm Maine just doesn't exist. That... Stephen King wrote it into existence. We know this. Okay. <laughs> yep. But like, but like, have you ever met anybody from Vermont? The I'm, band I'm starting Fish a conspiracy. Well, my, my cousin actually works there. So much as I'd like to play along. I mean, or so Maine. she says. So she says. Ben and Jerry are from mm. Vermont. 
insane, but, but he wouldn't let fanciful. us see his face. But it, so. it could be totally made up. It's this fanciful job where she teaches children to play the fiddle. <laughs> I mean, and who plays the fiddle in Vermont? Nobody. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Fish, fish haven't been back to Vermont since like 1972. They've been on the road. Now that we've given you some backstory of at least three important figures, though, we can kind of move forward. Waylon's first album with his newfound creative control was 1973's Lonesome, Henri, and Mean. He made use of some studio musicians, but at the forefront was his road band, The Whalers, who had largely been kept from playing a lot on the songs previously. He covered songs by other Nashville outsiders like Steve Young, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Mickey Newberry, and Chris Christopherson. So it sounded different, but it also looked different. When he was laid up with hepatitis, Waylon didn't shave or get a haircut for a while. Now, his mother-in-law said that his new beard, at least at first, looked like, quote, a bunch of piss ants going to a funeral. <laughs> um, and he said it took him till two o'clock the next day to grow five o'clock shadow. He thought that he was really starting to look like who he was, though. And Neil Reshin encouraged him to keep the beard and the longer hair as it added to his outlaw image. And I want you to think about something. Nashville, in every sense, before Waylon and Willie was clean cut, name me a country singer pre-Waylon and Willie that had a beard and mustache. It might have been mustache. I don't think we can do I can't it. think of one. I can't. I, I mean, can't. even like all-time badasses like Hank Williams and Johnny Cash shaved. What about Slim Whitman? Did he have that stash? Now, Slim did have that little pencil-thin mustache. Any of the Statler sort of. brothers had yeah, a mustache? Well, one of them, one, uh, one of them did later. And I don't know if the one who, who sang the deep parts, I can't think of his Kangaroo. name. And then a little well, bit later, you know, like William Lee Golden had the longest beard in the history of creation, I think, for the Oak Ridge Boys. But, but before that, if, if there were any, they were very few and far between. And here is a fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. The cover picture for the Lonesome, Henri, and Mean album was taken by the famed rock photographer Mick Rock who I think passed away about a year ago or I think you're I think you're right. By the way, Mick Rock is not to be confused with Mick Rogers, who was a guitar player for Manfred Man's Earth Band. <laughs> that should sound spectacular with so many people in the room. <laughs> All right. Take it away, Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Tom McGuinness, and that was your federally mandated Man for Man reference of the podcast. I hope you are satisfied. Oh, Tom, we are satisfied. We can play that we tens are. of thousands of times. I will never get sick of it. <sighs> yep. It is, it is yep. wonderful. It's, it's like yep. an earworm. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. A retrospective review of Lonesome, Henri, and Mean by All Music gave the record five stars and called it, quote, the quintessential Waylon Jennings outlaw record. Reviewer, and I'm going to butcher your name and I apologize in advance, Khalifa Sine. I'll go with. You know what? Didn't you just say, just say it wrong with authority? Isn't that how I'm supposed to do it? Yep. 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 Just, just tits forward. Well, it's it's reviewer, Khalifa Sine said the album, quote, encouraged fans to think of Jennings not as an old Nashville pro, but as a new kind of country anti-hero, as much a part of the counterculture in his own way as the hippies. The album had two top 10 hits and Pretend I Never Happened and You Can Have Her, but we're going to listen to another one. This is a song that was written by Steve Young, one that reviewers say serves as a statement on Waylon's frustration over battling for creative control of his career and work for years. This is the title cut, Lonesome, Henri, and Mean. On a great 
And we are back. Okay, so for however many weeks we've been doing this, we've we've been playing these older Waylon songs, and you're like, eh, "It's good. Doesn't really sound like Waylon. It's big sweeping ballads and all the strings and horns and keyboards and stuff, and and eh, doesn't really sound like Waylon. And hitting lots of high notes, and it's you know a lot of the songs were good, but a lot of it was crooner stuff. That's Waylon. TJ two. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we have to take a break for our sponsor. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. 
I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell ya, I have small ear canals, Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business. And I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We're back to discuss country music, pills, and produce in the series about the life and times of Waylon Jennings. I was going to say, it sounds a lot like the Waylon we know. And also, LD, let me know what you think. I get a Ray Stevens kind of vibe from that. A little bit. It almost sounded kind of like the strength. A little bit, yeah, but it's definitely got his his tone to it. That's definitely like a honky tonk song. I mean, that song is really up tempo. You know, you can imagine the boot scooting that might be going on with that one. And when you're looking it up, don't make the mistake that I made because I'm like looking up the French name. I'm like Lonesome Henri. No, don't do that. Look up Henri. Lonesome Henri. Not quite what you're looking for. We are take you to the Apple Tower. And there go our two French again. And again, Come I apologize on, to any of our listeners in France. See, this right. is why this is why we have to apologize to entire countries, guys. I'm sorry to the entire country of France. Right. Well, Whalen was not from Paris, Texas. It was Littlefield. So. Right, Littlefield. But anyway, that that to me that sounded like Whalen. We're there now. Yeah. To me. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yes. All, all kidding um, aside, yeah, that actually sounds more like that classic country sound. I mean, when sound. you do MacArthur. Well, when you have that MacArthur Park bullshit that we had last week. Oh, God, that song. 
that nobody can save that. Nobody, nobody can save that. Cake out in the, in the rain. rain. That's the dumbest. Yeah, it's yeah. a bird. It sucks. The only person that ever <laughs> saved that song was Brack. Was was Brack from Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Well, that was it. Okay, I'll, I'll I didn't hear Brack's rendition, but I'll listen to anything out of Brack. Okay. Uh, yeah. Outside of that, there's not much to write home about. Yeah. No. MacArthur's Park's like okay. a fruitcake of music. Nobody wants. It. Nobody I love really his song about pickles beets. But it keeps coming <laughs> back, Phil. It keeps coming back. Waylon said by this time, much as he loved his booker, Lucky Moeller, he tired of playing the same clubs and the same state fairs over and over. Country artists were viewed as lower tier for some reason, so they didn't often play the better venues. And the scheduling made no sense at all with shows hundreds of miles apart on back-to-back nights. He said that he drove through Syracuse, New York, five times in one month and never played a show there. Wow. Just, it's things like that that were just very illogical. Yeah, yeah. Like wow. He figures that he didn't get paid about 20. Some percentage of that college town would want to hear country music. You would think so. Somebody, there had to be some honky-tonk, some bar, or some, something he could have played there on his way through to make, you know, make a little extra money or something. Gas um, money, if nothing else. If nothing else. But now he also figures that he didn't get paid about 20% of the time. But Lucky would book him at those venues again anyway because he was getting his, his money up front whether the band got paid or not. Uh, Waylon, by the way, would often no-show on those. And he came up with a different means of dealing with deadbeat promoters, which we'll discuss later. Now, even when he did get paid, he said the most that he could ever get was about two grand, aside from the odd Vegas show or concert on the Navajo reservation where he was a big star. He thought country artists deserved to play the same venues and make the same money as their rock and pop contemporaries. To that end, his manager, Neil Reshin, booked Waylon at some non-traditional places, including Max's Kansas City, in New York, which leads us to an all-time Waylon Jennings story. Now, Max's Kansas City was a rock club, and it was a haunt for the Velvet Underground and for Andy Warhol, who may actually have been in the con in the crowd for the concert I'm about to talk about. There are varying accounts of whether he was or not. But a rock crowd was definitely on hand. So Waylon decided to clear something up right from the jump. <clears throat> Quote, we're from Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to play you some country music tonight. If you like it, tell a friend. If you don't like it, keep your damn mouth shut because we will come down there and kick your ass, he said. Now, given the crowd that was on hand, someone shouted back at him, who the hell do you think you are anyway? His response, Wayland, goddamn Jennings, that's who. Classic. <laughs> he then yeah. ripped into his opening song and Russian said it was the rockinest show that he ever saw Wayland perform. And by the way, Wayland started a new production company and called it WGDJ. Love it. What a badass. Pretty amazing. Oh, God, he's so awesome. Now, we've mentioned that Waylon had become very good friends with Willie Nelson by this time. Willie had been at it even longer than Waylon, obviously. Now, he was viewed as a great songwriter and guitar player, but Nashville types really didn't get his kind of odd jazz-flavored delivery or his nasally twang. So when his house in Nashville burned down, he decided he'd had a belly full and he moved back to Texas. He signed with Atlantic Records, but was going to kind of semi-retire, and he was just going to play bars and clubs in his home state and put out an album every once in a while. As he did, though, he started to notice something. Now doing the kind of music he wanted to do, which was his great songs delivered with a very sparse arrangement that lacked Nashville's sweetened-up horns and strings, and now that he was growing a beard and long hair, something was happening. He was drawing younger crowds, and the crowd continued to get bigger and bigger the more he played. He thought that the people he was playing in front of at that point represented the future of country music. One of the prime players in that scene was an Austin club called the Armadillo World Headquarters. 
Now, according to artist Gary P. Nunn, it was the place that, quote, brought the shit kickers and the hippies together. And I can offer you a quick fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. Gary P. Nunn's version of London Homesick Blues was used as the theme song to the TV show Austin City Limits for 27 seasons. Wow. And I was kind of pissed when they changed it. <laughs> Tradition means to be something. With you. Although they used some, I think they used Gary Clark Jr. now, who's awesome. So I don't mind as much. But when they first changed it, I was like, where, where did where did your song go? I don't I fear change, therefore I will keep my branches. I haven't seen one of those. I think I saw Brandy Carlisle's last one of those I watched like two or three years ago. Well, like the Mavericks were on there last night and I was going to watch it. It was them doing a Spanish language performance and I wouldn't have understood. <laughs> I really, I love the Mavericks, but I just, I was like, uh, okay. If you do one in Hillbilly, then I can probably catch up. But so I did, I did the opt to skip that one. Um, now, the history of the Austin music scene in general and the Armadillo World Headquarters in particular is detailed in a fantastic book called The Improbable Rise of Redneck Rock. Check it out if you're interested. But artists like Willis Allen Ramsey, Doug Sam, Jerry Jeff Walker, Michael Martin Murphy, Kinky Friedman, and many others were regulars. It eventually drew the likes of The Clash, who played a show with Joe Ely, Bruce Springsteen, ZZ Top, and Frank Zappa, and one early show featured a kind of informal jam session with Jerry Garcia, Phil Lesh, Doug Sam, and the great Leon Russell. Wow. Wow. Nice. The, Zap the Zappa Beefheart album was recorded there, too. Bongo Fury. Quite um And that's the one he ends by saying, good night, Austin, Texas, wherever you are. Quite a mustache on that guy, Frank sister. Zappa. Yep. My sister does want to cover Leon Russell. That just reminded that me would of that. Why do I never happen into a club where, you know, two members of the dead, Doug Sam and Leon yeah. Russell are jamming? Yeah. <laughs> jamming. Never seen it. I always, I always go into some like, would be in Northern California. Somebody's playing the harmonica with their butthole. <laughs> you ever been in one of those bars where they have like in Blues Brothers, where they have the chain link fence in front of it because all the beer bottles are flying towards the <laughs> stage wire. and stuff? Yes. Wire probably some of these places. Yeah. Some of these places that Waylon played was probably like that, I would imagine. I was actually coaxed up on stage by some musician friends one time at a place that wasn't quite that bad, but they're like, uh, do you want to get up and sing? Can't always get what you want. I said, sure. They said, what key? And I just said, like, <laughs> 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 wow. Wow. So you were, I mean, did you follow through with that or were there any beers flying that night or nobody? <laughs> no, most of the people were, I was either kin to or they had, or they'd already passed out. So it was, it was a friendly. <laughs> yeah. Like crowd for the most part. But anyway, Willie became a regular at the Armadillo and he called Waylon to invite him down for a show. He said, quote, I think I've found something. So Waylon did come down, but he didn't realize that the Armadillo was as much a rock club as it was a country joint. And he certainly didn't know what he was in store for in terms of the audience. He took a peek out before a set and saw a bunch of young people, many with long hair. The smell of weed hung heavy in the air and Waylon was pissed thinking that he was going to be playing like a typical Texas cowboy club. Quote, Somebody go find that little red-headed son of a bitch and get him over here, Waylon said. When Willie came over, Waylon said, quote, what the hell have you got me into? Just trust me, Willie assured him. Waylon hit the stage, and this crowd, far from what he was used to, went absolutely crazy and ate up everything he was doing. He realized that Willie was right. Something big was happening, and it was about to get even bigger. Now, we gave a language and content warning at the outset of our episode, and I think we've probably already earned that with what Waylon said on stage and, you know, watermelons and what. But 
as we move into this next part of the episode, I'm going to offer a disclaimer and tell you that piecing together the actual events and the proper timelines have been very difficult. I think a quote that I once heard about Studio 54 applies here, which is that if you actually remember it, you weren't actually there. There was so much booze and so much coke and so much weed and so many pills. God knows. it's The stories vary crazily. There are about five different versions of how Waylon came to know Billy Joe Shaver. And some of the events I'm about to present as happening at one big music festival might actually have been an amalgamation of two years worth of shows. But having said all that, on July 4th, 1973, a big music festival was planned for Dripping Springs, Texas. Hey, we've it was been there. Was there. Dripping, we've been that's there. Why you dirty. did. You went to Dripping Springs. It is. We actually went to. Okay, so here's the thing. We went to Dripping Springs, Texas, to go to this this amazing brewery. Actually, for those who can see me right now, I have a I have a growler from. I don't even drink beer, and I bought a growler from the family business because it's owned by one of the stars of the TV show Supernatural. And so, because my fandom is so crazy, we had to drive 583 miles out of our way to go to this brewery that I didn't even drink beer at. But uh, on my way home, like on our way back into the car, we got to the car driving, you know, to, to our next destination. He had a possum and I killed it. Oh, no. And I will had to take over driving because I was literally like crying, you know distraught, completely upset. I was destroyed. Possums are no. hard to kill. No. And could have mm-hmm. been playing possum. Drove back I, an I hour like later to think that, but like not at the speed we were going. You felt it. And I felt really a, bad. Possum or an armadillo? Possum. What did you say? Possum. A possum. It's Beverly Hillbilly's joke there, but I think we're going to pass. I cannot tell you guys how devastated I was because, like, I feel bad killing spiders when they're in our house. For me to, like, be in their environment and take its life, I felt so bad. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, it's it's upsetting me right now because I can't believe I killed something. I, I, the, uh, the only thing I don't I don't mind killing is mosquitoes in South Carolina because F them. Well, you've also had several deer. At that, point, right, just like, at that point, it's basically fight or flight. I mean, your life is on the line when you're dealing with South Carolina skeeters. At, at Little League yesterday, I had to go into the men's room and kill a couple spiders for my grandson. He wouldn't pee otherwise. Well, here's the thing. Travis has been on the receiving end of some deer that had death wishes. Mm. Like, I don't like, was it four cars have been destroyed by deer or something stupid like that? Destroyed two. Da- damaged about six. Oh, wow. God, it's fucking crazy-ass kamikaze. It's that, that aftershave of yours I named Venison Poon. <laughs> I think that, um, I think that uh, maybe deer in South Carolina, deer in South Carolina must do meth. Crazy four cars? <laughs> they're, they're, like, they're crazy. They'll run into the, they'll, they'll barrel into the side of your car. Were they all four totaled? Uh, I've totaled two cars with, I've to, in my life. I've totaled two. I've damaged three or four others. Let, let me ask you this, TJ. What are the... Roadkill laws in in where you are. Did you eat laws? any of these laws? Kentucky has legal. It's legal. Okay, no, it's totally story. Legal. When I was oh, in college, I worked, when I worked in, when I was in college, I worked at a radio station, and I was running a West Coast Braves game that didn't end until about one thirty a.m. I was driving back. I lived way out in the country, and a deer jumped out in front of me. And I mean, it was he got. It was, I was, there were, there were woods that literally started right where the pavement ended on the side of the road. So he jumped out in front of me. I didn't even have time to slow down. So I hit him doing like 60, killed him. And I, I, I get out and the deer's dead. So that's, you know, bummer. And I'm sitting there surveying the damage in my car. 
And a truck pulls up alongside. The guy rolls window down and says, buddy, you okay? I said, yeah, 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 I hit this deer. But, yeah, I'm okay. He said, is, you, is your car drivable? I said, yeah, I think so. I said, I think it's just cosmetic damage. You know, it's a fender, grill, one of the headlights. But I, it's drivable. He said, oh, okay. So you want the deer? I said, you going to eat no. that? He said, no. Oh, cool. You mind if I, mind, nah. if I throw it the, mind if I throw it in the back of the truck? I said, yeah, sure, go ahead. Fresh meat, just get fresh kill. Take him. I don't care. Okay. I have okay. eaten roadkill. I have family in sure. Appalachia to this day. Rabbit and yeah. deer. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's fine. I haven't yeah. actually had possum, but it was possum's on a little, menu. Possum's a little I declined. Granny Clampett could make a mean stew out of it, I understand. No. But, okay, no. Uh, no, wait, wait, wait. Possums, wait. Are, possums are scavengers, I think, so it's, it's like really gamey. Yeah. Can I can I ask Will a weird question? Because I never remember this. What's the weirdest thing I've ever eaten? Aside from a gas station chicken. Okay, that was my brother's fault. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to mind. You, you steer away from from weird That's... weird things. I had a deer burrito one time. It was really yeah, good. Yeah, deer meat is, is good. Right. I like it. Because well, you've had, meat you've had ostrich and alligator, mm -hmm. haven't you? I've had alligator. Uh, yeah, I've had gator. I've had ostrich. I've had bison. Baby seal is delicious if you know how to cook it. I'm just, no, I didn't really eat a baby seal. Elk um, is pretty good. Crawfish pie. Mm -hmm. uh, cooter. I'm going to go with chocolate-covered grasshoppers. What the hell is cooter? Oh, what's cooter? Uh, cooter is giant, like a giant snapping turtle. Okay. I've well, had turtle. Yeah, I have. It, people, here, people around here will make uh, cooter stew. Anybody else? Any other any other off brand farm? I I think the strangest thing I've probably eaten is like key lime pie or something. I'm not if not it, it, I'm not I'm not What's strange I'm about not, key and the lime reason pie. Why, How about um? You ever eaten like bulk sausage in a can? Is that what were those things that Grandma used to have that I would oh, eat the Vienna whole can sausages. of? Stand up wing. Stand yes. up wing. Yes. No. Vienna sausages. Yeah. Stand up wings. Stick a toothpick yeah. in. No one does that. No one actually Kitty does that. You know, if you brush a little olive oil on them and hit them with some smoked paprika, they're actually quite a lot. Vienna sausages are so versatile. They are. No, they're not. Stop I'm, it. I'm vegan. I remember, I'm like, vegan. I I used to be a, used to be a disgusting child. I remember drinking the water from oh, the can. You would, she would drink the she would drink the weenie juice. She would. I still drink pickle juice. Like everybody I, did. I have a I have a jar of just like I've already eaten all the pickles and the juice is just sitting in the refrigerator in case I want it. Ugh. Like. I'll eat weird. I'll eat weird things like that. They're, yeah, they're athletes who yeah. drink that to, uh, to help prevent. Pickle crowns. juice is supposed to be good for Charlie horses. Yeah. See, Did honey. We have a discussion about yeah, getta. Ooh, <laughs> getta, yummy. Okay, hang on one second. Who are we talking about again? Where are we? <laughs> Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings and, and his consumption of getta. So there's this big festival, big music festival planned for Dripping Springs, Texas. It was seen as like the redneck Woodstock, and it would feature. Waylon, Willie, Ernest Tubb, Hank Cochran, Charlie Rich, Chris Christopherson, Rita Coolidge, Loretta Lynn, Doug Sam, Jerry Jeff Walker, and others. Waylon and Willie arrived at the venue riding tandem on a motorcycle, blowing past five miles of vehicles that were waiting to get in. Somewhere between 70,000 and 100,000 people showed up. The gates came down. Lots of people didn't pay to get in. Nobody got paid because the money was stolen, and nobody much cared, as it turned out. And this crowd was a strange mix of cowboys, bikers, hippies, rednecks, 
Roughnecks, older country fans. These were groups that did not necessarily mix in society, but they did mix in Dripping Springs at the Dripping Springs reunion, which would later kind of be rebranded as Willie's Fourth of July picnic. The crowd was a strange mix of cowboys, bikers, hippies, roughnecks, older country fans. Groups that didn't necessarily mix in society did mix at the Dripping Springs reunion. Looking at the crowd and the craziness, Willie smiled, looked at Waylon, and said, We hot, ain't we? Waylon said it was an unbelievable scene when he was on stage playing bob wills is still the king bras started flying onto the stage um people were getting ripped on hot beer and reefer smoke drifted skyward Wayland said he had no idea where people used the bathroom and he probably didn't want to know but no one down front moved for the entire day not wanting to lose their prime spot now it being texas and it being july it was hotter than hell so soon bras weren't the only articles of clothing that were being ditched topless girls sat on the shoulders of guys a lot of people took off all their clothes. Wayland said one girl, completely naked, climbed up on a high camera platform, laid down, and, quote, just started wiggling. Now, that was obviously a mating call of some sort as a gentleman, wearing not much more than a cowboy hat and the smile God gave him, climbed up on the platform, exchanged brief pleasantries with the young lady, and then, quote, mounted her and went to work. Okay. Yeah. Things that are not on my bucket list for 500. This is where it's going off the rails here. At a a certain point, an orgy, a full-blown orgy broke out on one side of the stage, which Wayland said was quite a damn thing to watch. Um, There was also a fire in the parking lot, if not this year, the next year, and about 40 cars were burned up. They actually read out the license plate numbers, ones that could still be made out anyway. And one of those was RHP 997. That doesn't mean anything right now, but store that little nugget away for later in the series. If you know, you know. It but sounds more than like all rock, that, wait, like the Rocky Horror Picture Show? <laughs> red Hot Peppers? Mm, no, no. But we'll, we'll come back to it later. Okay. More than all that, this was just an unbelievably enormous crowd for a country music concert. It was a new audience. And Waylon and Willie both had albums out that were selling a lot more than most Nashville productions. Quote, suddenly we didn't need Nashville. Nashville needed us, Waylon said. The concert was also the nexus of one of Waylon's all-time great, most critically acclaimed albums. As mentioned, the version of events in Waylon's autobiography on this differs from the version portrayed on Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus, which is different than versions told by Billy Joe Shaver, which doesn't totally match up with the version on the CMT documentary. So I'm just picking my favorite parts and gluing them together and hope they're as uh, close to accurate as they can be. So Billy Joe Shaver was to appear in Dripping Springs, though he wasn't terribly well known as a performer yet. Still, he was also booked to open in a show for the Grateful Dead a day or so before the big Dripping Springs concert. Now, did you ever, Aaron, I know you were, you were like into Dead. Did you ever see them? Did you ever see Billy Joe with them? I saw the Dead seven times, never saw Billy Joe with them. Okay. Well, he was supposed to, supposedly supposed to open a show for them, but he got the date wrong. So he showed up the day after at the Hate club. When, that happens. when he realized his mistake, he was crushed and oh. he started walking back to his car. But the club owner called out to him. He told him that the dead, who were apparently fans of his songwriting, had left him a gift and handed him a roll of toilet paper. Now, Billy Joe, Joe assumed that they were saying he was full of shit, that they were that this was messing with him for missing the show. But the guy explained that each square of toilet paper contained a hit of acid. Mm. Uh, wait, 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 w
Could you imagine just going to the bathroom and getting dosed uh, like that? That would be a hell of a thing. Also, you don't really, you're not supposed to eat toilet paper. So where is... Oh, it dissolves. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kind of put two and two together there and you get uh, something yeah. else. You don't have to really eat it. You just have to <laughs> yeah, let it dissolve just, on your there tongue. Are, there are ways. Uh, by then it's too late. Well, There's no spitting it out. There's so much horrible about that. There's so like, I've heard. It went... It went from <clears throat> Billy Joe thought that literally they were saying like, oh, you're not worth the shit or something because you didn't show up. And then the guy explained like, no, 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 no. You know, they really like you. They, I'm sure they understand. They're fans of your songwriting. They left you this. Each each square of tissue paper in this roll of toilet paper has a head of acid in it. So Billy Joe, being Billy Joe, started ripping them off and shoving them in his mouth and chewing them. After he did this, and, and again, I don't know how many, but what it was year was this? approximately this is 1973 okay, so it's definitely Ooh, so it's still it's definitely good stuff. bears acid yeah bears owlsley bear stanley uh, uh, that is I, what it was ooh, yeah I, okay i don't even know what you guys are talking about but apparently if it's got a name it must be strong uh, i'll let aaron expound on it you, if you'd like you want to, me to go into the bear he was some um, yeah yeah please do among bear other things this guy created what was known as the wall of sound for the grateful dead he was like their sound engineer for a certain time and he was also mm -hmm. chemist and other things. And um, yeah, he had the most renowned LSD anywhere ever, pretty much. And that's what's on this toilet mm -hmm. paper. Yeah, okay. that's, so that's what Billy Joe was shoving in his mouth by the fistful. So, but is it, is it, okay, so you just like, there's, I'm just picturing a dude with like a wad of toilet paper he, just he shoving it in the, his uh, mouth. And then the like dancing bears too. Oh, that I know. That's on every. That was on literally every person's car that went to my high school. Yeah. So Billy Joe just starts ripping these off and shoving them in his mouth. He uh, went out in the desert. He laid down and he looked up to see the stars and moon, which he said were dancing, just just dancing and moving and having a conversation with him. And he said it was awesome. Unfortunately, at some point, a brown recluse spider crawled up on his arm and bit him. No. Oh God. So oh, it's just Billy getting Joe, worse. Billy Joe passed out. When he came to, he found the brown recluse spider still on his arm, dead. Oh. He had so much acid coursing through his veins, he killed a brown recluse. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Oh. Holy oh, crap. God. <laughs> That's so now, <laughs> So now, Billy Joe Shaver had both lots of acid and spider venom in his system, and he became delirious. Or Spider-Man. Yeah, he became a superhero. He had a high fever, and his wife tried to put him in a... Right. His wife tried to put him in a cold shower to break this high fever, but it didn't work. Instead, Billy Joe emerged from the shower and announced that he was Jesus Christ, and he began wandering around backstage at Dripping Springs and in the parking lot, healing people, whether they were infirmed or not. It was nice of him. He then announced that at a certain point, he was going to die. He gave his wife his wallet and keys, and he wandered back out into the desert for a while. And he actually thought that he died and was in heaven at one point, but he heard Sammy Smith singing, help me make it through the night, so he knew that he was still physically on this earth. When he got back, he looked like, he looked like a basted turkey. He wrote a horrible song about dying in the desert and eventually sought refuge in what he called, quote, a little peanut trailer, which was apparently one that some of the artists that were playing at the concert were you know, hanging out in. Some musicians were in that one that he walked in playing some songs. Billy Joe grabbed a guitar and played one of his compositions. He swears that as he sang, Waylon Jennings burst out of the bathroom of the trailer, told him he loved the song, and asked him to show him how to play it. Quote, you got any more of these cowboy songs, Waylon said? I got a whole sack of them, Billy Joe replied. Waylon said that he wanted to do a whole album of them. 
Now, we've gone a very long while without playing much music, so we're going to play a song now. This is Waylon's version of the song that he heard Billy Joe playing that day in Dripping Springs. This is Waylon with Willie the Wandering Gypsy and Me. Whiskey, pleasures of drinkers and moving does more than the same thing for me. Willie tells me the doers and thinkers say moving is the closest thing to being free. Well, he's rosin his riggings. Laid back his wages, he's dead set on riding in the big rodeo. My woman is tired with an overdue baby. Willie keeps yelling, hey, Gypsy, let's go. We're back. That one just ended. It was like, like normally. Sorry, that didn't just end. That like faded off. Yeah, it's normally annoying. it's like, and then the woman left me. Bum bum, and then that's it. They and did it that a couple like, times on that album. I think that's one of the production flaws with that album. Is that there's a few songs that fade out like that prematurely, kind of. Maybe it's not a flaw. It's Maybe. no confusing. Well, I mean, you know, now for the most part, Waylon and tom paul were producing and it would have been waylon's first crack at it so you know what that that maybe that was a thing maybe yeah there's another production thing i noticed in a different song that i'll probably mention later what was there's, that um there's a song oh, lyric okay. flub low down freedom to, instead of staying from the top he says from the stop and they like half cut off the s but don't quite it's like a really weird mm. i'm like why didn't they fix that 
Interesting. Yeah. Love the song, by the way. That, that's one of the better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I love the song. I love the. I actually lo really like the sparsity of the arrangement, which kind of puts the focus a on Waylon's voice, which is great, and then b on Billy Joe's lyrics, which are terrific. Yeah. Yeah, I hate it when a song when a when a singer singing and you can't hear what they're saying. You can't hear them because the music is so loud. Well, I mean, he's like music should enhance, not overtake. Billy Joe's kind of a. I think he called himself a hillbilly poet. I mm -hmm. think that's what he unguarded okay. moment or something but he really yeah the turn of phrase and everything is poetry i mean mm -hmm. his lyrics it really is. are amazing yeah. yeah i mean if we're talking about you know billy joe tom t hall and chris christopherson and harlan howard and a bunch of the you know best songwriters ever said and willie all said that he was a poet and he's been name dropped in a bob dylan song so i know this is there's no drums in that track at all are there the percussion is very light if 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 it's there at all yeah but anyway, so that's Willie the Wandering Gypsy and me. So Billy Joe went to Nashville because, you know, he said that Waylon told him in that little peanut trailer, well, I'll do a whole album of your songs. But he said that Waylon tried really hard to avoid him and did for a while. Waylon says he was just busy at the time. Eventually, though, Billy Joe showed up at Hillbilly Central when Waylon was inside recording. He said Captain Midnight let him in. Billy Joe announced that he was there to see Waylon. So Captain Midnight went in the studio and told Waylon who was outside to see him. Waylon was in the middle of recording and didn't particularly want to be bothered. <laughs> so he gave Captain Midnight a $100 bill and told him to go give it to Billy Joe and politely tell him to F off. Now, Billy Joe said that he really could have used $100 at that point because he was basically broke. But he took that $100 bill. He handed it back to Captain Midnight and said, quote, tell him to stick this square up his ass and twist it real good. So Captain Midnight went back in the studio and relayed said message to Waylon. Waylon, either impressed with the dude's balls or with just wanting to get this over with, came outside. Billy Joe reminded Waylon that he'd said he was going to recut a bunch of his songs for a record. If he didn't at least listen to some of his songs, Billy Joe threatened Waylon saying, quote, I will kick your ass right here in front of God and everybody. Now, you can imagine how well that went over with Waylon, <laughs> who got super pissed and there was a standoff. And holy hell, what a fight that would have been. But at some point, cooler heads prevailed. Waylon pulled Billy Joe into a room and he warned him that walking into that building and saying stuff like that could probably get him killed. And Billy Joe does recollect there were some bikers and really rough looking folks on hand at Hillbilly Central. Quote, I'll tell you what, Waylon said, I'm going to listen to you sing one song. If I like it, I'll let you do another one. If I don't, I'm going to throw your ass out of here and me and you ain't never going to see each other again. Billy Joe said that was fair enough. So he started singing and Waylon let him finish. Then he let him play another song. Then he let him play another song. After a few minutes, Waylon knew what he had to do. It would be an album of songs, all written by Billy Joe, all around a common theme, all produced exactly the way that he wanted with sparse arrangement and a rough-hewn sound that put the songs at the forefront. Waylon believed that Billy Joe's songs had to be heard together for you to fully get Billy Joe. So what song won Waylon over? Well, I've actually seen two different versions. One indicates that it was the song Old Five and Dimers, which is great. And the other indicates was a song that we're going to hear right now. This is Waylon covering Billy Joe's Ain't No God in Mexico. Down the road a ways I've heard say a new day's coming on Where the women folks are friendly and the law leaves you alone I'll believe it when I see it and I haven't seen it yet don't mind me, just keep on talking, I'm just looking for my hat. Ain't no God in Mexico, ain't 
Now that border crossing feeling makes a fool out of a man. If I'd never felt the sunshine, hell, I would not cuss the rain. If my feet could fit a railroad track, I guess I'd have been a train. Back in 1947, that's when more than times were hard. Well, pity me, I didn't find the line in time and like a fool. In front of God and everybody, I politely blew my coup. Ain't no God in Mexico, ain't no comfort in the king. When you're down in Matamor, it's getting busted by the man. If I'd never felt the sunshine, hell, I would not curse the rain. If I hadn't been railroaded, well, I guess I'd have been a train. Well, it just occurred to me that Travis's story talked about he was going to kick Waylon's ass in front of God and everybody, and as a line from that song. And it's like, it makes me wonder how much of this is full, filled with like Texas colloquialisms. You know life I mean? imitator like, uh, or... Well, yeah. Hey, uh, Bear, quick question. What was the name of that painting that you like so much by Thomas Kincaid? What was it called? Because Mar- it's just bugging Mar-o me. Harbor, I think. Um, all right. So that was Waylon covering Billy Joe's Ain't No God in Mexico. What'd y'all think of that one? I liked it. It's uh, Yeah, it's, I like it's, that one. It's trucker music now. It's yeah. proper trucker music. Okay, so Travis, you mentioned in your story, Billy Joe told Waylon that he was going to kick his ass in front of God and everybody. And that and that right. same line was used in that song. So I, I was just maybe wondered, you know, how much of the, the lyrics is like a little bit of an insight into the, the colloquialisms that Texans are the I think, things. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So if you're and a Texan. Billy Joe's songs are really autobiographical. And actually, Waylon actually said that Billy Joe's vernacular is essentially the vernacular of Texas. Like this, if you want to know what a Texan talks like, go go talk to Billy Joe. Yeah. The other thing is that his songs were so autobiographical because we'll obviously hear one coming up here that makes reference to the Green Gables where his mother worked. And then much later, he had a fantastic song called Georgia on a Fast Train that references, there's a line in it that goes, got a good Christian raising and an eighth grade education. Ain't no need you all treat me this way. And he eighth grade is as far as he got in school. So it like his life and his vernacular and kind of Billy Joe is in a lot of his songs. They're not just throwaway little ditties Man. he thinks of. I like the intro guitar lick in this one. It reminds me of Black Betty popularized by Lead Belly, I guess. But it, I think yeah. on, that, on that whole uh, Honky Tonk Heroes album, I think that was my favorite song or probably the best musically, I thought. Yeah, and... You know, this is Waylon now getting to assert himself a little bit more as a guitar player because uh, when Danny Davis and Chet Atkins were producing him, they let him do it some, but not a lot. It certainly wasn't at the forefront. It wasn't a signature part of his sound. And, you know, Waylon said, you know, like, I, I'm, I was just, I'm just an okay guitar player, but is really distinctive. There's something about the way Waylon plays lead that's just, oh, especially, and you'll hear it more as we get into some more of his kind of kind of more country rock flavored stuff that's coming up it, it gets more and more at the f- forefront and i really like it actually of course he has willie play with him a lot too and willie can pick so yeah there's a lot there's a lot to, like the um the border crossing the texan i've read or whatever that that there's a sense of freedom when they cross over into mexico it's like 
go on a bender and, and it's like no god in mexico means like there's kind of like no rules you know like you're right every, and like body. every person i've ever known from texas has like a tijuana story yeah. <laughs> most of them i've even given what we've discussed today most of which i can't even repeat here now so anyway uh all right so that was uh wayland's ain't no god mexico now shortly thereafter wayland did set about the task of recording a batch of billy joe songs the problem was that Billy Joe was in the studio at the time. Now, when Waylon would listen to a song, he would often hear them differently in his head. Harlan Howard said that Waylon would make changes to songs he wrote all the time in terms of tempo and melody, but Howard almost always liked Waylon's versions better. Billy Joe had never really had anyone cut a bunch of his songs before or, or probably not diddle with them. So as Waylon made some changes here and there, Billy Joe was not happy about it. On one song in particular, Billy Joe had written it to be slow from start to finish. Waylon had the idea that he would pick up the tempo slowly as he went along. Quote, what are you doing to my song, Billy Joe protested. He accused Waylon of, quote, messing with the melodies and, quote, screwing around the tune. Quote, you're fucking up my song. That ain't the way it goes. I just want to know what you're doing to my song, he asked again. I'm fixing to sing it if you let me, Waylon told him. Quote, no artist wants the songwriter critiquing every effing thing that they're doing, Kinky Friedman said, and that was very much the case here. As this was going on, the engineers in the RCA studios were constantly calling upstairs to Jerry Bradley to report on what Waylon and his crew were up to. Now, he had creative freedom, but they were still keeping an eye on him. He's high, one of them reported to Bradley. Hell yes, I'm high, Waylon shot back to him. <laughs> I think they, they must have left the talk back button on or something, and he heard him. So, with them tattletailing and Billy Joe hounding him about every note, Waylon finally had enough. Quote, you're going to get your ass out of here and stop bugging me, Waylon finally said to Billy Joe. I love your songs, but I'm starting to not like you worth a damn. Stand outside the studio, go for a walk, watch some television. I don't care what you do. Now get the hell on the other side of that door. When he was finished, he told Billy Joe, he could come back, listen to the recordings, and then they could discuss if changes needed to be made. Once Waylon was done, though, Billy Joe got it. He saw where Waylon was going, and he really liked it. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's the way it goes, recall Waylon's drummer, Richie Albright, after Waylon changed the tempo and melody and everything else. So, I know we just played two back to back, but this is such a great album. Let's just hit another one. We're going to hear the song on which Waylon tooled the tune or screwed the pooch or whatever it was Billy Joe said he was doing. This is Waylon with a classic. It's the title track to the album. And I think this is probably my favorite one on the record. This is Honky Tonk Heroes. Low down, leaving sun. Done did everything that needs done Woe is me Why can't I see I'd best be leaving well enough alone Them neon lighting nights Couldn't stay out of fights Keep a haunting me in memories Well there's one in every crowd For crying out loud why was it always turning out to be me? Where does it go? The good Lord only knows Seems like it was just the other day I was down at Green Gables Hawking them tables And generally below And all my hard-earned pay Piano rolled blues Danced holes in my shoes There weren't another Count booze 
honky-tonk heroes like me Hey, hey like uh, in the beginning it's got like leon redbone vibes or something it kind of does uh, yes i can say that you know the theme to the larry sanders show Uh, this is the theme to larry's show this is the part where i start to whistle it reminds me of that too (laughs) but yeah i like this song i'm almost halfway finished how do you like (laughs) how do you like the theme to gary's show that's the one it's i like that point in the song where it transitions to more more upbeat where where he says hey hey and then it starts he starts really playing guitar you know, that's a really good transition, and, I think. And and I think the way Billy Joe wrote it is the, the slow part, like that you're in the beginning, the whole way through. And Waylon would hear things differently, and he heard like a break and jacking up the tempo and stuff. And that's when Billy Joe was losing his mind and screaming, what are you doing to my song? And But, the, but then once he heard the finished product, he really liked it. So yeah, it's like a minute 20. And in fact, that's the, the way it was supposed to be the whole time. As good as that story was, about how they met. It'd have been better if they actually threw down. They had to be separated or something. God, I, I can't imagine what an epic, what an epic clash of the titans that would have been. Yeah, because Shaver seemed like he was really because because you, uh, you'd have Waylon who would most certainly have been completely completely roaring on on all kind of God knows what kind of speed, and then you have Billy Joe who's just would like literally just take anything that he might give him in toilet paper squares of acid, of acid and, and killing brown recluse spiders with his blood. So. <laughs> He killed a brown recluse behind her with his, with his blood. Yeah, that's what pretty. Crap. That's pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so that was Honky Tonk Hero. And that's probably my, my favorite, maybe my second favorite on that the entire album. So RCA was not crazy about Waylon doing an album of songs by a, a, 
basically unknown songwriter at the time. They didn't like Waylon and his buddy Tom Paul producing the album either, but Waylon had creative control and he was exercising it. The only concession Waylon was willing to make was to add one non-Billy Joe song to the very end of the record. And by the way, about that, here's another fun fact. Fun, fun fact. fact. One of the songs that Waylon considered as the album closer was Seven Bridges Road. Of course, made very famous, I guess, on the Eagles live album. Is that where that originated? They didn't write it, but. It's a good thing that we all have our uh, cameras on because I could just see like a wave of Blankness. what? Yeah. <laughs> Blank like, faces. It means nothing to me. I'm sorry, <laughs> everything, everything froze up on me for a second. That was a, that was a fun fact. <laughs> no, I was saying. Stop, time out real quick. Some like everything froze. So anything else said, I did not hear. We didn't well, say anything. That was the thing. You said the fun fact, and we were all like, cool. Okay. No, well, then, what? Aaron hates the Eagles, man. He hates the Eagles. Anyway, so that was the song he considered doing. Instead, he went with We Had It All, which was written by a member of Chris Christopherson's band. And I'll just say that I don't dislike it, but um, I would say that's probably my least favorite on the album. Yeah. If you had to cut yeah. a song, that's the one. What, 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 what is y'all's guys' take on the, on that one? I like the song, but I just don't think it belongs. It just in comp, you know, it just doesn't fit the rest of the concept. Because I always, I think of this album almost like it's an individual. Every song is about the same individual, right? And this, and this song just seems to be a departure. <laughs> this and it, this is know, we had it all. Yeah, it's a, kind of a pretty song, though. It's it's, yeah, it's, it's got it's got like big string arrangements, and it's kind of croony. I'm kind of like Phil. It, it almost feels out of, it's almost like Don't Come Around Here No More on Southern Accents by Tom Petty. It's like, it's a really good song, but it has nothing to do with the rest of this album. It totally does not belong here. It's, yes, this should have been on your next record. It just kind of, it felt a little bit out of place, but not again, not a bad song, but probably my least favorite of, of the record. Now, RCA initially did not want to release the album, which was called Honky Tonk Heroes, but eventually they pretty much had to. It had a top 10 hit in You Ask Me To, which Waylon and Billy J actually co-wrote together in the studio the late country journalist chet flippo said the music nashville had been making at that point was syrupy sweet almost to the point of being unintentionally funny Waylon said country was soothing at that point but it no longer stirred anybody's emotions and that in trying to appeal to more people it had actually lost its soul and become very dated sounding and was limiting its own reach honky tonk heroes was basically an antidote to all that flippo called it and I think he maintained this almost until pretty much until he died. The second best country album ever made of all time behind only the redheaded stranger by Willie Nelson. Wow. So that that's what the esteem he held. He held that record in. It made the list of a thousand and one albums. You must hear before you die. And all music gave it a five-star review. The El Paso times said it quote, holds some of the best poetic humor and downright country sounds ever captured. The Kansas city said it was quote dusty gritty and above all honest and rolling stone said that after years of being overproduced the record was the quote crisp robust no nonsense sound which has been Waylon's trademark since his early days with buddy holly's crickets the album sold very well despite rca putting almost zero effort or money into promoting it because they didn't like it but people did and critics did so screw them now when the group was at Hillbilly Central, which... Did I read that Chet Atkins tried to keep that album from being released too? And why would that have been? I think was so. Was part of the record company or something? But yeah, Chet was was a label head and, and had formerly be been Waylon's producer. Actually, doing some research for a later episode, I actually stumbled on something that I gave to LD for her next series. Mm -hmm. And it deals with some very 
surprisingly, Chet Atkins came up in a way I wasn't expecting. <laughs> so, but you'll have to wait a while to hear that. Now, when the group was Hillbilly Central, where Waylon had actually moved his offices by this point, Waylon, after sort of establishing that Billy Joe was an okay guy, told him he wanted to show him something. He went in his office and he pulled back some floorboards to reveal a very large stash of dynamite. What the- Now, he rubbed his finger across one stick, snapped his fingers. Wait, when did we acquire dynamite? We've already had LSD. <laughs> this is awesome. Bites and I yeah, like, right. How who get who gave him dynamite? Was just this a hobby? Yeah, you know, honestly, really. I mean, if you were like contractor, construction guy, whatever, well, Jennings came up and said, "Hey, hey, Hoss, can I buy some of that dynamite off of you?" I mean, we, would you tell him no? No, I don't. Uh, I mean, I, you, know, you wouldn't. It's so, fireworks for redneck. There, I just, yeah, I just yeah. figured it'd be a you know, yeah, a redneck fireworks. I can see somebody bringing dynamite to an Appalachian um, picnic. That, that might yeah. be the best little and, and section fishing, ever. And, and fishing with it was a popular pastime where LD and I were from. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let me tell you real quick. I have a friend, my, not a friend, he's actually a co-worker that he, their, their family gets together every 4th of July and they do get dynamite and blow up a car. It's part of the curriculum for the picnic. Okay. There you go. If, if y'all will remember, actual real M80s were a sixth of a stick of dynamite. Yeah, I thought they were a quarter stick, but yeah. Or maybe quarter sticks. It was, but it was like quarter, sixth, whatever. But it was, it was basically a miniature piece of dynamite. Is what an actual M80 was. It would also blow a mailbox completely over a house. Blow a limb off a tree. Heard, and it would do really nasty stuff to a septic tank. But again, I, I'm just these are things I've heard secondhand on the street. Never saw it firsthand. Certainly never did it. There were, this was using dynamite was actually a popular form of fishing where LD and I was from, and and there was two. Well, there was actually two illegal ways of fishing. You could throw an M80 or a stick of dynamite in a pond. Or you could take, if you could find one, and our grandmother actually had one, an old-timey phone, and he would take the wires on the back, and he would drop them in the water, and he would turn that that hand crank on the side, and it would electrocute the nearby fish, and they would just float to the top. Okay, so that was like the like one of two things that I wanted from grandma when she passed away that for some reason just like disappeared into the, the ether. fish-killing phone? Was, well, yeah, the fish-killing phone. But remember, like that back corner tea in grandma's living yep. room like that mm-hmm. was my favorite corner because that's where the 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 phone was the crank phone and then the record player was down there yep. the victrola but here's the thing grandma used to serve me like it was not i don't know if it's brown grits or like if it was like brown sugar oatmeal or something but oh no 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 it was cinnamon applesauce and it grandma was. yeah grandma used to serve cinnamon applesauce and i was allergic to cinnamon but she insisted on me eating it. She's like, you're not allergic. And mom's like, yeah, no, she's allergic to cinnamon. Don't let her have cinnamon. And so I could, if I, I threw away one time and she jerked a knot in my tail. And so after that, I would just take a spoonful. And when she walked out of the kitchen, like when she walked out of the living room to, to go into the kitchen, I would go over to the old poker set that she used to have, you know, where you, you had the, all the chips, the poker chips. Well, the cards were long gone. So there were just those two open slots on either side. And I would put them in there. I would I would pour, spoon the applesauce into those slots. And I don't think she ever found it. You could also just sit it inside of uh, the cabinet over there to the right of the TV set. And when she went to bed, then just take it out and toss it. I may have done that with a thing or two myself. Uh- <laughs> anyway, so, but anyway, so Waylon pulls back the floorboards and there's a huge cache of dynamite. He rubbed his finger across one stick, snapped his fingers in Billy Joe's face, and there was an audible crackle and a flash, which Billy Joe said scared the absolute shit out of him. Wayland took the explosives on the road, too, keeping some in the floorboards of his bus under a setup he had that was basically like 
a big flat piece of like particle board over two saw horses, which is apparently where Hank Jr. would often crash and sleep when he was on the, uh, the road with Waylon. Now, related to all that, shortly before the Honky Tonk Heroes album came out, but once Billy Joe and Waylon had become acquainted and friendly, Waylon was out playing some gigs and Billy Joe was along for the ride. Now, he didn't recollect the exact date or location, but said a show was booked in a venue that looked basically like a big barn. It was in a rural setting and drew a huge crowd. Billy Joe said on Tales from the Tour Bus that the place was packed to the absolute gills and that people were quite literally swinging from the rafters. So the show ended and Waylon and the band waited around for the manager or promoter to pay them. After a while, they were the last ones that were still at the venue. They had been stiffed, which happened a lot, but it wouldn't happen in the future because as Waylon got bigger, payment had to be made in advance to secure his services. In this case, though, Waylon told the others they may as well head on to the bus. After a couple of minutes, he joined them on the bus and they drove off. As they pulled down a long, unpaved driveway, Billy Joe heard a thunderous boom and saw a gigantic flash of fire. He turned around and saw that half the venue had been completely destroyed by an explosion. Quote, Waylon, what was that, Billy Joe said. Waylon's response, quote, I didn't hear nothing. Wow. <laughs> that's deep. I love it. <laughs> and that's actually appropriate since Waylon's next album would literally blow up the Nashville music machine and his career was about to explode in a way that no country artists ever had before. And with that, friends, we're going to hit the pause button and thank Phil, Lisa, and Aaron for joining us today. All right, so uh, thoughts on this episode? I hope everything turns out well for Waylon. I hope he he lives a long, healthy life. Uh, I hate mm. to tell you this, but if they're on the show, it's... No, don't don't tell me that. That that, that book has already been written. No, 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 no. Yeah, sorry. Welcome to Rock and Roll, having the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. Of alive and flourishing musicians. I do do like that the Whalers are spelled W-A-Y-L-O-R-S. Nice touch. What reflections do we have other than you don't want to follow Billy Joe into the produce section of the Piggly Wiggly? (laughs) (laughs) I like his music, but... Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm good. No watermelon, thanks. Guys, stop it with the watermelon, okay? What gets me is the money, like the money issue. Man is like making money hand over fist and wasting them in, you know, pinball what do you call those, pinball machines. And we haven't even gotten to like the $3,000 worth of blow a day or whatever habit yeah. yet. Like, yeah, well, next week. Now, I will I will ask you a question because we didn't exactly wrap this completely, if I remember correctly. Where does he stand with his his contracts? Because I know that the contract that he stated was that the record company was getting like 50 percent of all of his profits and that that they give him the same same deal. OK, yeah. OK, so Neil Reshin renegotiated the, the contract, took him from five percent royalty to 8% and eliminated a lot of the costs that he had to pay, like for printing and production and all that kind of stuff, which they would, they would, the record company would actually deduct from artists royalties. He also got complete creative control and he got back the full $150,000 that RCA was holding quote in reserve. Okay. I mean, he went in there and he slaughtered Jerry Bradley and Ted Atkins. They did. I mean, yeah, Nick, I've... Neil, things go south with him later, but he was very key to getting Waylon and Willie both more money and, and creative freedom. So, yeah, and he enjoyed, he had starting with Lonesome Henri and Maine and then into Honky Tonk Heroes and forward, Waylon does albums exactly the way he wants to do them. With You'll see that very soon there's going to be even less interference from the record company. No Chris Christopherson songs good. stacked on to the end. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so, know if that's a good well, thing that, that or was bad written thing. by a member of Chris's yeah. band. 
So it kind of strikes me that he's kind of like uh, Wayland's. Um, uh, who was the Who was the artist that Cash played for in prison that he turned into a, oh, yeah. a star? Merle. Well, there's Merle. Yeah, but the one he did, Greystone Chapel. Yeah, that. Oh, the guy that had guy that was had trouble again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Turned out. I don't remember his name. But yeah, I Glenn Shirley. Glenn Shirley. Yeah. yeah, it's sort yeah. of like you know, Shaver's kind of like. Uh, Wayland's or Cash's Shirley. It's like, but you know, a little uh maybe not quite as homicidal, but well or, the guy that Billy just shot did not die from his wound. Thankfully. Oh, yeah, that is true. He did shoot somebody. <laughs> Never yeah. mind. Never mind. Yeah, yeah but okay. Just, how yeah. how crazy is an episode when like the thing you forget is a guy being shot in the face? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did do that. Didn't oh, he? yeah. A very a very quick story about that. There, there's in, in lore, there's this this story that before Billy Joe shot him, he looked at the dude and said, where do you want it, right? Now, I would have said my left. Where do you want it, the A-hole or the B-hole? You know, the, the guy probably didn't say, right. <laughs> he said, the guy probably didn't say in the face. But, okay, so a friend of Billy Joe's after that event happened, and I get, God, Jimmy Dale Gilmore or somebody like that, called him and said, like, man, that's such a badass story, Billy Joe. Can I write a song about it? And Billy Joe's like, oh, yeah, I guess. I don't care. So there's a line in the song that says, where do you want it? But it was actually uttered by the prosecutor while she was cross-examining Billy Joe. So it's kind of like exists in lore that Billy Joe did it, and it was in that song. But I don't think there's actually evidence Billy Joe ever did that. <laughs> so but he did shoot the guy. For sure. I mean, there's, that's not in question at all. He admits he shot it. Yeah, it's like, if he'd asked me, I said, why not just shoot it up near? That's where I want it. Up there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Did Babe Ruth actually call that shot? Right. Well, I can see why. I remember, TJ, that you're a fan of Norm MacDonald. So I did find some of that on YouTube where Billy Joe visited Norm's HBO show or Showtime show or something. And they. Yep hit the town afterwards and they were doing a bunch of crazy shit. I can see where, you know, those two guys kind of line up. <laughs> kind of crazy. How, what a, what a crazy world we live in where Billy Joe Shaver and Norm Macdonald were like best buddies. Yeah. Right. Right. Or it was inevitable. So I guess Norm was a fan of the music. Yeah. Norm was a huge fan of, it was an absolutely a huge, huge fan of it. Billy Joe was one of his favorite songwriters actually. Yeah. Loved him. Tried to, he tried, tried to, to write some country songs himself apparently yeah well you know all, all i knew normath basically was the uh, weekend update guy yeah yeah he Nor was he really was i think the best at that note to self mm -hmm. yeah those are funny yeah norm's country songs would have been like 15 minutes long and it would have just been him uh singing like uh like this and at mm -hmm. the very end they'd say uh because your light was on <laughs> <laughs> it would be like a 15 minute long story with, with a terrible punchline yeah. at the end that would long, make you laugh long walk. That, right. that's how his song yeah. is probably yeah something very cryptic that only he really understands speaking a long but, walk yeah yes. i think we're but uh anyway so our, our so our friends from yeah huh, joined us for this one thank you guys for coming what uh, episodes do you guys have coming up wow, we've got our mustache movies coming up yeah mm -hmm. that's gotta say one. and we just recorded a book club our first book club episode i give the godfather a 10 for movies a one for mustache that's spot on aaron Think how we mm -hmm. need to look at it too that's yeah um, what else uh tombstone 10 for mustache i don't know six or seven for movie maybe yeah. yeah well where can people find you guys and what are they looking for we are at 
<laughs> professional help. Watermelons. Yes, probably. Watermelons. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Do not do not ask Philip. He cannot find a watermelon in a refrigerator. Well, ironically, Lisa's brother just told us how to pick a watermelon at the grocery store. Yeah, that's kind but of that's, funny. We'll save that today. For, we'll save that for our pod, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, people people want to find us we're not going to uh yes yeah, it's, it's my brother danny so that's my banging watermelon i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not saying he wouldn't pick out a banging watermelon guys can we move on from the watermelon i swear to god he brought it up just yesterday all right, you guys can find uh, Yeah, Aha, uh-huh, wherever fine podcasts or wherever you can spell it, however you want. I don't, at this point, I don't H-U-H. Wait a minute, wait a minute. H-U-H. We, we, we do say our website. Yeah. But I just uh-huh. lost the domain. Oh, look at us. We spell our website out for people. Oh. <laughs> it's podpage.com forward slash yeah dash uh dash huh dot com. Um, and the uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, it's at Yeah uh, Pod. Excellent, and uh, and we can also find Aaron I'll as well uh, with you guys. Um, yeah, these are all three of us are Yeah Uh huh. All right. And then for us, if you guys like what we're doing, we do have a completely restructured Patreon, and if you uh, head over to Patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven you guys can see the new structured tiers i think i spent a lot of time you know trying to figure out what would be awesome for you guys so fingers crossed you guys will like the new tiers but yeah if you like that and you want to be a part of the patreon community you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven you can also check twitter not our twitter i don't I lost the login for that like two years ago so um i don't recommend checking out twitter yeah to steer clear. yeah no desert wasteland now and it's uh it's just full of hate and uh pictures of you know what never mind let's start charging you ten dollars a month now right no you don't get well, charged with the watermelon i've ever seen no checkbox then no, oh wrong. yeah no the you're check there's, some, accounts. there's yeah. some good add content the check mark costs i think dollars but i never had one i don't need one and it doesn't make me sad that i don't have one so whatever but you know we're actually having a really good time on instagram and that's rock and roll heaven lt Ooh. our facebook is rock and roll heaven pod and again, we'd like to thank our admin Thea, who is also just on the Yeah Uh huh podcast. Thea, so if you guys want to, if you right. if you can't get enough of admin Thea, you can go check out Yeah Uh huh. Hey, um, wait, just wait, just wait. Well, wait one second, Travis. Let me through this for the love of God. <laughs> thank you. Okay, still not saying our website. You can check out our Tic Tac at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Uh, we post in that almost our every TikTok? single day. Our Tic Tac. Breath fresh. And uh, whatever, tic-tac, tic-tac, it is late on Sunday. I want to go watch Yellow Jackets and eat something. Probably pork, I don't know. We're behind on uh, Yellow Jackets. Oh, we just had pork I just need to finish the socials and you guys can talk (laughs) all you want. You can email us if you really want to at rockandrollheavenlt at (laughs) gmail.com. And please, for the love of God, make sure to check out all the other Pantheon podcasts, Pantheon podcasts dot com it's gonna be a blast and uh basic check out basic actually basic just went on hiatus but again i do have some news coming up that i can't wait to tell you guys but yeah basic is on hiatus but i am working on pictionary there are there are episodes out there to listen to including the one that we just dropped last week i think 
which was John Mulaney. So yeah. Oh, I like him. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff that you guys can check out. But pretty much that is the episode. Again, we'd like to thank Lisa, Phil, and Aaron for joining us. Do you guys have anything you'd like to say to the audience? Thank you for having us. We do not have Patreon, but we will accept cash. (laughs) We will take cash. Excellent. I will just hand you a dollar bill on the street. (laughs) (laughs) Will, do you have anything you'd like to say to the audience? Thanks for our guests for joining us. This Waylon Jennings ride is... Is continuing on in a wild fashion, and that's TJ. One of my three Waylon Jennings favorite moments. Hope he lives uh, one to is 100. Up. Yeah, He's lived to 100. <laughs> oh, if I got some bad news for Aaron, but um, yeah, one yeah. of my favorite Waylon stories is coming up, along with his appearance in a film in a few years, I believe. Yep. Well, guys, thank you so thank much you. for joining us this week. Please make sure to join thank us you. next week, where we will be doing Waylon Jennings Part Seven. So I'm going to hand the reins back over to my big brother to close out the show. I love you all. Thank you so much. Bye, TJ. Bye. Okay. Well. I'll hopefully be joining the uh, uh-huh guys for an upcoming episode. Looking forward for that. I think we'll be discussing in greater detail probably one of the albums we just talked about today. I just looked on the fabulous Twitter machine. We just passed the year anniversary of our last tweet. It was a picture <laughs> of Michael Jackson. Nice. Rock and Roll Heaven podcast just posted a photo. Just. <laughs> I think it's a link to an Instagram thing. So well, there you go. Hey, um, just posted it a year and, ago. Uh, thank you. Thank you for everybody uh, for joining us for this episode, uh, part seven of Waylon coming up next week. And I'm actually going to show some deference to my brethren on the other end of this Zoom call for our final song. I happen to know that this is a favorite of Phil's from the Honky Tonk Heroes album. So we're going to close out with it. We leave you from Rock and Roll Heaven with a song called Black Rose. Good night, everybody. Good night. Way down in Virginia, amongst the tall grown sugar cane, lived a simple man and a Dominica hen and a rose of a different name. Well, the first time I felt lightning, I was standing in drizzling rain with a trembling hand and a bottle of gin and a rose of a different name. The devil made me do it the first time The second time I've done it on my own Lord put a handle on the simple-headed man And help me leave that black rose alone Handle on a simple-headed man Help me leave that black rose alone
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.